0: Hello, welcome to another episode of 40Guard Live. I'm Derek Mankey and as always Mar, this is a pattern that we're repeating. It's good to see you again
1: hey, always good to be back
0: yeah it's been a while since uh since since we talked, but I know we're on the front lines every day you're looking great
1: by the way. hey, thank you getting some sleep getting some rest and uh, enjoying some time at home
0: yeah uh, <laughs> it's amazing you're able to do that in between all this stuff because I know it's been it's been as always it's a crazy day in, in cyberspace as we like to say right Hey, but that, those are the
1: days we live for, right? Those are the days that keep yeah. our job exciting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about
1: that. Uh, you know, I I always get excited when we talk strategy. And, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about things
0: like uh, e-commerce uh, lately, holiday threats, all these different things that, that come up uh, seasonally. And that's something actually that because we we see patterns and trends, we can actually think ahead of the curve and try to be proactive on when it comes to proactive defense, right? It's, you know. There's always uh, various sides to to security strategy. You have uh, incident response and reactive, which is necessary and critical, has to be agile, but there's plenty of opportunity to also be proactive. And oftentimes there's not enough focus on that. So I wanted to talk today about Uh, You know, some things that we can do to be um, a little bit more proactive in our everyday lives, Um, particularly when we talk about security operations centers. Um, So a a lot of the times, you know, security controls and solutions are put in as uh, compliance or checkboxes, and and that's fine. But a lot of the times it's just also um, um, when when an incident does hit, uh, it can be scrambly, right? Um, There's fires to put out um, and obviously there's, instant response and things like that but from a blue team perspective i think there's various things that we can do um to to empower the blue team you want to talk a little bit about that
1: yeah, so first of all, I'm glad you brought these subjects up about being proactive because as fun as it is for us to research all the attacks and all the dark side, it's also a lot fun to to really figure out how to stop these attacks and what the techniques are to stop these attacks. And you mentioned blue team, and I'm a big, big believer of blue team, blue team exercises, blue teams and corporations organizations because what a blue team is doing is it's basically trying to actively run tests trying to actively run defenses on how to stop attacks before they occur normally blue team red team exercises they work really well together where you have someone running an attack you have someone looking at the IOCs or other types of telemetry that may be coming to a system figuring out how to stop that attack or what that attack is doing but it all comes down to like education and understanding the environment, the cybersecurity environment for that organization.
0: Yeah. And so you mentioned a couple of things like the red team, blue team exercises. That's great because a lot of the times that's also that's using new attacks. Right. So things that we've learned from the past, uh, you know, exploits that we've seen before as an example for, for pen testing, all those sorts of things we can put in. But there's also the, um, you know, being aware of the the live environments, right? Like what's what's happening out there, and that's one thing I want to talk about with, um, you know, with with playbooks. Um, so, you know, as as you know, with uh, Fortiguard Labs, we've put out various playbooks. Um, you know, the one uh, one of the reasons we're doing these is um, is to try to understand as much as we can about um, our campaigns, uh, attackers, so that we know their TTPs, techniques, tactics, procedures. Uh, you know, the, the, the holy grail, the, the ultimate quest is to get to the, uh, you know, who they are, uh, what, uh, you know, what, what's their next plan and move. Uh, but to get there, we really need to also build out those uh, those playbooks. Um one of the the you know the latest playbooks uh, that we've released as an example is on a javascript rat um, i think you're, you're aware of it maybe you can just talk a little bit a high level about that and you know to me one one of the cool things so the reason that we do this is the more that we dig into this the more we understand how not only they're trying to target uh you know enterprise and consumers or uh, public sector as an example but also um um, you know they're they're looking at us they're looking at security vendors and trying to see how they can try to remain undetected as long as they can and persistent and this is a reason we have to map all this out right
1: yeah, absolutely. So Derek, I remember when I was a, when I when I was a kid, and even still now, I love video games. Yeah. And I remember like used to spend hours and hours on like like trying to get through a video game. And then like sometimes I used to go get the video game playbook, and I said, "Oh, like you didn't have to go for that nine levels. You could have just like turned around and gone backwards or done okay. something, and like you're at the end of the game." And I'm like, "Wow, someone actually like went through the effort of mapping everything out, and and that was like so cool to me. And I think the idea of cyber playbooks is kind of the same thing is that someone has mapped out like not only the attacks and what the attacks do but the technique behind those attacks and also the the transfer protocols the initial access how they maintain access kind of all the iocs and all the tactics around those attacks as well and so someone's kind of done that work for you they've created that map and they're ready to go that's like pretty awesome i mean as a as a defender, as someone that has to take care of networks, now I know what to look for. Instead of guessing, like, okay, uh, like, which wall can I walk through, like, in a video game, I know exactly what wall is the secret entrance and what to look for. And I can make my tools look for those IOCs or those attacks. Um, So I'll pause there before I... uh, Go on to the the Java attacks and JavaScript attacks, but um, if you want to add any comments or anything,
0: yeah, no, I, I think I I, it, I I love the video game analogy. By the way, I had the same thing; <laughs> I could totally relate uh, as a kid, and maybe even a little bit today too. Uh, but you know, like w- when it comes to the the, um, the the reason that we're doing, if you look at how we're doing these playbooks, I always describe them as as a as the core tool. Now, I mean, we used to we used to do you know uh, well and not just us but the industry in general you know like uh you know 50 60 page white papers on a given attack a whole bunch of uh things relating to technical indicators trying to do correlation and and describe that at text as an example uh and then um you know it's it's it, it served a purpose and it was good, but I think that we've matured since then. And the reason that we're doing these playbooks is to normalize that, right? There's a lot of reading to do nowadays. There's a lot of noise out there. How do you put that into a common format? And that's what we're doing. Obviously we're using, uh, we're working closely with MITRE and using MITRE ATT&CK to map this to the MITRE ATT&CK framework. And if you look at the ATT&CK framework for any given playbook we do, we have to talk about all these things that you're just talking about right i mean being aware first of all of, of the attacker what's what's their end game and then from a blue team perspective once you understand that um what's uh, what's the defensive guide right uh, you're you're basically trying to stop them to getting to their end game uh, and so it really in a sense of, of of strategy it becomes um it can be put into analogy with sports analogy it can be put into um in video games like you talked about i remember the first con- one of the first conversations that we had was on security strategy referencing even centuries ago to you know sun tzu and the art of war as an example
1: yeah absolutely you know one one other interesting point you just brought up is like just the amount of information that's out there to stay ahead i mean there's like just tons and tons of reading to do one of the good things that i like about playbooks is that they categorize like what i need to look for and i can easily put that into automation systems so since like our playbooks are using the minor attack framework format, uh, Mm a standard that's used like on multiple in multiple industries across multiple products, including all our products, I can easily take those pieces and put them into things like um, a 40 analyzer or, you know, something like a, a SIM product where I can start operationalizing and looking for those specific attacks. And then the good thing about that is, as you said, it's the idea of learning and continuously learning. I mean, we're not all experts; uh, it takes a village, as they say. Uh, So, you you know, the JavaScript attack is a good example of that. Uh, It takes a lot of work to figure out how JavaScript attacks work because, first of all, they occur on drive-by downloads. You can just browse a website. They can occur through a web-infected ad network. Uh, So, there's a lot of ways you can get infected through a JavaScript applet. They're usually dissolvable agents, so it may not be something that shows up on disk to analyze in a debugger, it's in memory. And they have a lot of evasion techniques, just kind of open it up and see it's something bad. You actually have to do a lot of work, a lot of encryption and debugging to figure that out. And uh, when that happens, you're like, wow, I found something. How do I figure out if there's anything more like that? A playbook can help you. It can help you with that guide to go along and figure out more more types of the same attack or same techniques that are being used. Yeah, those are great.
0: Those are great points. And I want to talk about that a little bit more because uh, again, if you look at um, all the different this is what MITRE ATT&CK does again, right in that framework, it talks about techniques and and uh, sorry, <laughs> techniques, that's a new one, uh, tactics and techniques, <laughs> both those combined. It's a matrix, right? And it shows, you know, for each different um, tactic as an, ex- as an example, defense evasion. How are they trying to do that? And again, this old school used to be done in, in, in ways of um, you know multiple documents and in white papers, like I said, but now this can be put into a common framework. And because of all the great advance, advancements that have been done in terms of thread intel, we have languages like six version two as an example that we can encode that information in. So then that playbook becomes living, that's the key thing. It's hard to update a 70 page white paper. It's not so hard to update a couple of elements in a living playbook. That can then be used for multiple outputs. And this is what we're doing at 40 Labs. And um, you know, I know we've talked about it before, but it can be used to transport through APIs. You mentioned 40 SIM as an example and SIM integration, but it can also be used for a two, you know, three page conversation or brief for a CISO as an example to understand um, you know, for generic malware campaigns for specific malware campaigns, what are you know, what's that playbook? And then once you understand that playbook, like you said including evasion techniques. Do I have gaps, right? Um, are they trying to evade certain uh, certain security measures? Do I have that gap covered? Um, so it's important, I think, to, to map the, the, uh, the blue team playbooks on top of these adversarial ones.
1: Yeah, the other thing I wanna point out is uh, attribution. And I know we're always very careful about attribution. It's always a very, very tricky subject. Yeah. And, uh, but, but you know, when you see the same code and you see see the same techniques and, and, and the same attack patterns, then you can say sometimes these campaigns are related, even if you can't attribute them to a specific group, right? Right, but but attribution is really important uh, if you are looking for, you know, types of groups that may be attacking you or types of attacks that may be targeting your organization. I, I remember one time you told me, uh, you had this analogy where you were telling me how fingerprints are really important in in traditional crime, how law enforcement uses that to figure out, like, if a criminal's been from place to place or if they've had multiple uh, attacks in, uh, you know, in a city or whatever, Uh, you know, a playbook can also be used from that kind of investigative purposes is fingerprinting the attack and possibly, you know, helping with attribution, even though that is still a very tricky subject. It always is going to be.
0: Yeah, no, that's fascinating. I think that's fascinating stuff because you're right. I mean, in, in essence, what we're doing virtually with these playbooks, even you know map it, what we talk about in cyber attacks is mapping everything cyber right but there's this other layer that even as we work uh, with, with attribution and law enforcement it's this whole doorway to the physical world that we also do mappings right I mean there's mappings from our cyber playbooks to those physical people who they are to their geolocations right where they operate what tools they use um and it's it it becomes incredibly important on that attribution piece and it's it's what i described their their digital dna right i mean that's what it is it's old habits die hard like we say Uh, they don't change a lot of the time so by understanding what tools they're using um, we can start to identify even different um, um, you know, groups that can potentially be operating together or sharing and using the same infrastructure or the same tool. Um, and it becomes really fascinating when you start to put uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning on top of that, too.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning. It used to be a buzzword. People didn't really understand what it gave you, and it started, you know, it started really making automation very, very easy. Uh, it started making, uh, you know, cat- categorization very easy. But now it's getting to the point where we can be proactive about defense. We can be proactive around the type of attacks, the type of vulnerabilities that are being targeted, and it can start working with uh, defensive security systems through APIs, through other means as well, to start like pre-blocking or pre-scanning or, uh, you know, pre-redirecting traffic in in a lot of uh, different ways. So I think we're just starting to see some of the real usefulness of AI and machine learning as policies when they're applied to policies on security devices. Yeah. And I
0: think, you know, last thing I wanted to talk about was um, this is, I think, actually quite crucial to how we really turn the tide in the war on cybercrime, right? Because we talk about um uh you know uh we're, we're always under attack everybody the industry security vendors everybody uh, on, on the good guy side is always under attack how do you get a step ahead uh, we talk about resiliency so creating um you know more obviously that's what we do as a vendor um, you know good threat intelligence uh, security fabric integrated automated uh, defense security different operations all that stuff it makes it harder for attackers to get in um, but the other way is to fight back without necessarily using firepower, right? Because we can't always use weapons. To, it's, it's illegal uh, to, to hack the hacker, but we can hit them where it hurts, and that introduced you know, a risk model, a cost model to them. So that includes the resiliency, but also exposing, exposing the playbooks, the attribution piece you talked about, um, all their techniques, um, the different tactics, the the way that they they they. That the way the way they operate and by doing that it really forces them to go back to the drawing board so that's an offense in itself
1: yeah no absolutely like we call those countermeasures right a lot of times in in traditional defense and that that is what we're trying to create in the cyber world is countermeasures to uh figure out what attacks are occurring in real time and to be able to really make it more expensive for an attacker to, to attack you, you uh, waste your time in a lot of ways. So things like deceptive networking, such as honey pots or such as, uh, you, you know, a lot of other tools that are out there, uh, will basically waste an attacker's time. It will throw them off. Hopefully, you know, you know, not, you know, waste enough time. So they're not, getting the crucial information that they need and they'll just hopefully give up. Uh, It will force them hopefully back to the drawing board, spending more time and resources. uh, So it's a cat and mouse game or maybe it'll just give them a different target that they'll rather go after instead of you. So a lot of advantages of uh, doing countermeasures.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we just need to do more of it. Um, so uh, speaking of which, we're just scratching the surface right now. We're always short on time, uh, but we have a long a, a long road ahead of us as always. We've made great progress. We can, can you know, continue to put out more of these playbooks. That's what we need to do in the industry. The larger coverage of that attack surface we have, the more of that impact uh, we're, we're gonna have it. It's to efforts uh, to, to everybody in the industry and great minds like your, yourself, Mark. Thanks for your time again. It's great to talk to you today. That's the Derek Menke with 40 Guard Live signing off.